I'm your host, Laurie Handler, and you've tuned in to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment, and I greet you in peace. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Did you ever wonder what your life would be like if you lived it fully, full out, allowing the rich juiciness of who you truly are to ooze, to ripple, to burst forth in all its glory? Are you in a delicious place in your life, living in technicolor, or do your days feel like a series of one mundane experience after another? Are you even aware that you deserve pleasure? Well, my guest today, Edie Weinstein, she is an expert who knows something about this. She's an expert at living an organic life. Edie's a Renaissance woman and calls herself a bliss mistress. She delights in inviting people to live rich, full lives. She's also a journalist. She's an interviewer and an author. She's a dynamic and inspiring speaker. And she's also a licensed social worker and interfaith minister. Edie and I met years ago through various circles, and we I've had her on the show before talking about something called Cuddle Party. But mostly today... I want to find out about how you can live an orgasmic life and if it even appeals to you. So, Edie, first of all, hi, and welcome to Tantra Cafe. Hi, thank you, Lori. I'm thrilled to be here tonight. Great, great. This is very exciting. First of all, what I want to know is what does it mean to be a bliss mistress? Because bliss connotes a state of joy and also and mistress connotes a state of domination so are you to me so are you dominating people with bliss well what are you no, doing no um first of all where it came from how bliss mistress got born um i teach a workshop called byob which is be your own bliss uh, right. based on the ideas that joseph campbell put forth if you remember you know teacher philosopher um joseph campbell talked about the idea of following your bliss and right. I like that idea, and I also know that bliss is portable, that if we can be our own bliss, then we don't need to get it from anybody else or anywhere else. So that's where the BYOB came from, be your own bliss. So a couple of years ago, I was teaching the class at a retreat. I walked into the class, and one of the women there said, oh, you're the bliss master. And I said, oh, yeah, that's an interesting concept. And when I went home, I was talking to a dear friend, and he said, oh, no, bliss mistress. And it had a sense of intrigue. I don't believe in dominating anybody. I believe we have free will. <laughs> so we can choose bliss or we can thank choose. You. Yeah, thank you for life. saying. But it just, you know, when people talk about mistress, like all of a sudden <laughs> I see I have this image of BDSM and somebody in leather going, you know, you no. you will have bliss. You will <laughs> you must have the bliss. I've never tried that, but that's interesting. But no, that's not you know, that's that's not my I don't play like that. But um my idea is that bliss is so inviting that I think who wouldn't want it? And yet there are people in the world that would rather live their comfortable, safe lives than risk stretching into something beyond what they're accustomed to. So that's where Bliss Mistress came from. Now this same friend challenges me because he says if you're going to be if you're going to be teaching this stuff, you better be living it. So every day I set an intention to live my bliss fully. 
Now, it doesn't have to mean, you know, being high energy and um, on fire all the time. Bliss can be peaceful. Bliss can be calming, relaxing. So it's about what truly lights me up from the inside is how I live my bliss. What What's bliss for you might be different than what's bliss for me. Yes, so, very, very, very well put. Very, very well put. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like how how would I know? How could I find out my bliss mm-hmm. if I didn't know what my bliss is? How what if somebody called you up and said, "Okay, great, bliss, mistress. <laughs> what do I do?" Well, the first thing, and you would appreciate this, that I would encourage people to do is breathe. Because where there's okay. breath, there's life. Um, you know, I, I can say that I, I went to um, the, you know, the the bliss level butterfly training. My so I'm surprised you. I mean, obviously, confidentiality wouldn't allow you to say that, but I can say that that I went right. to your bliss training, and one of the biggest things that I got from it was the importance of breathing. Because if I'm not breathing, I'm not fully living. So I encourage people to br- take a breath and center themselves and say, okay, where am I now in my life? And if I'm where I'm content, great. And if I'm not content, what do I want to do about it? So from that place of of calmness and centeredness and groundedness, I would ask them, take a moment to remember when you were fully alive. Where were you? What were you doing? Maybe who were you with? Or maybe you were by yourself. And then embody that feeling, not just think about it, but feel it everywhere in your body because we are full sensory beings. And when we enter into life, you know, senses fully alive, we get more out of it. So I would have them embody, at least in their imagination, what it was to feel that bliss. And then the next step might be, okay, come out of it, come talk to me. What did you feel, see, hear, smell, and taste? And then maybe have them write about it, journal about it. Sounds fabulous. So in their words. Yeah. Beautiful. So, oh, I see. We, so, we so, right. Block. So your definition yeah. of bliss is what you set your intention for every day, but these people will find out by doing mm-hmm. a short and simple exercise with you. It's almost a little meditation to mm-hmm. find out well how they felt bliss. Mm-hmm. And then I imagine that you expand upon that. You know, they mm-hmm. they go to a place that they're familiar with, and then if they stay working with you, that you bring them to a place that's kind of unfamiliar. Right. And and some of the work that I do with people is individual, and my work as a licensed social worker, I work in a hospital. I don't go into it in the same way that I would working with a group doing a you know a workshop or presentation um, because I'm I'm constrained by certain rules, policies, whatever, on, on my full-time job. But licenses, I, I raise it. Licenses, legalities, yeah. contracts, and restrictions. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's some things that I can and can't do at work that I, that I wouldn't be able to, that I would be able to have the freedom to do in my own private work um, with, you know, with groups or with individuals. And I can still, that's the other thing, too, that I've learned to do is how to, bridge the mainstream and the metaphysical how to how to translate how to repurpose if you want to call it that the the languaging because if i'm speaking in a foreign language they're not going to get it right so it's got to be what they understand what anybody i'm working with understands bliss to be well help me to understand uh this because we i led off with talking about having an orgasmic life 
Mm-hmm. So would you say that bliss equals orgasm, orgasmic? Having a blissful life equals an orgasmic life? Well, when I think about an orgasmic life, it's not what we think of only as physiological response to a stimuli. It's, you know, I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago at an interfaith community I'm part of. And when I first told the minister, who's a dear friend, that I was going to, what I was going to talk about, her eyes got wide. I said, it's not what you think. Nobody's going to get naked here. (laughs) At least not physically. Right. So she was, felt a little reassured by that. But the idea is that in order to live an orgasmic life, I find that it's important to be emotionally naked. To be able to say, to strip off the layers of, conditioned response to life, to strip off the layers of fear and say, okay, I'm going to open my heart to offer and receive love and abundance fully and completely. That, to me, is living an orgasmic life. Um, Being open to engaging with the beloved, with a capital B, in all forms, for me, is living an orgasmic life. For you, again, it might be something totally different. I don't, just like I don't have the right to tell anybody what to believe spiritually, I don't have anybody, I don't have the right to tell anybody what their pleasure is. Right. So, that's a part of it too, is having people I appreciate, I appreciate your respect for the different palates and appetites mm-hmm. and desires okay. that people could have because so many people feel they're just breaking out of a box. Mm-hmm. And and they feel so constrained and suppressed by wh- who they feel they should be. Right. So what you're talking about, I think, is really having people like this. It's like a discovery process. Oh, it is. Discovery and uncovering. And it's just as true for me as anybody I might work with. Um, I, oh, you know, my, my husband, when, when he was alive, I, I'm widowed 11 years now. What my husband used to say is that I was always looking over my shoulder to see what the propriety police might be thinking. Um, you know, that I was I'm always really concerned. glad you're over that, Edie. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm kissing totally over it, but I'm, I'm in process. I'm a work in progress, like all of us. Yes. And I'm learning that I have to live with me 24-7 for the rest of my life. I can't live somebody else's dream for me or somebody else's belief about how I should be. Um, you know, as a recovering codependent, that's true too. So I come to this work not just from book knowledge, but from knowing what it's like to be that, I don't know if constrained is the right word, but that self-limiting at various points in my life. Yeah. So it's a, again, it's a process. I'm dipping my toes into the waters. I'm much farther into the waters than I was a year ago or 10 years ago. So I'm, Perfect. you know, breaking. Can you, you know, can you just describe to us what is a codependent? Because I'm not assuming that everybody knows. Sure. What a co- and I, okay. although oh, I've yeah. read Pia Melody and other books on codependence, uh-huh. I don't know yeah, what the actual definition is. Mm-hmm. Okay, cycle. It's a, it's let tell it's a recovery term. Um, it first got its was I guess I'd say within its heyday, whatever in the 70s, 80s, with. Um, the drug and alcohol recovery movement. A codependent was usually considered somebody that enabled the addict or alcoholic to continue their addiction. What it's come to me now is any, you know, any relationship that's enmeshed where you don't know where someone else starts and you stop. And that's something that I learned. I was a good little caregiver growing up and, and I had a very loving, nurturing, supportive family. 
but I was so afraid of losing love and approval, although there was no reason to think that I would, that I became everybody's sweetheart. Um, I had a hard time saying no. I had a hard time setting appropriate boundaries in relationships. So a healthy relationship has fluidity to it, where there are two individuals coming together by choice. An enmeshed codependent relationship could look like have you ever have you ever seen those um finger puzzle things that you put you know you put your fingers in and yeah, I'm very you familiar get it out with those. and one person pulls and tugs and the other person pulls and tugs and the only way to get your finger out is to compress your fingers, bring them together and then loosen them. Right. That to me is the essence of moving from a codependent relationship to a healthy, open, you know, fluid kind of relationship. Nice so visual. I'm sorry, say it again. That's a nice visual, you know, being yeah, able yeah, to... Yeah, I use that in, in my practice when I work with people, when I teach that concept. And I spent six years going to Codependence Anonymous meetings, CODA meetings, to learn those things. Mm. Um, a number, and this ties in with your show, too. Um, some of the concepts, one of them jumped out at me, too, is... Uh, tenets of Codependence Anonymous, we accepted sex when we wanted love. How many of your listeners, how many of the people you've worked with live that way? You know, I'm, I'm going to say yes to sex because what I really want is to be loved and nurtured and cherished, but that's the only way I know how to get it. For some people, that's what codependence looks like. For some people, it looks like rescuing, what I call savior behavior. Right. And I know it because I did it. <laughs> Yes. So yes. you know, so that's freeing myself. So for me, bliss is freeing myself from the bonds of codependent relationships. So, Fantastic. Thanks for going there. Thanks for oh, answering yeah, my, my that. Pleasure. We're talking with Edie Weinstein about having an orgasmic life. And first, we're in this part. We've been discussing how to know codependency and possibly free ourselves from that, and also how to discover. One's Own Bliss. That's what Edie was discussing with me earlier. You're listening to Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. And coming up next, we're going to be discussing more aspects of living an orgasmic life and why somebody would want to and why somebody might not want to. So stay tuned. If you're wondering what book you should read to jumpstart your sex life and increase your happiness, try my book, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy. This short, easy-to-read book will make you laugh at yourself and possibly even make you cry as you discover my tantric secrets for sex and happiness and how they apply to you. In the book, I begin with the tenth law, make love in the unknown, and then work you all the way through laws one through nine to teach you how to be in the unknown, fresh, every moment, every day. Sex and happiness puts the innocence and love back into sex and gives Tantra the respect it deserves. It's only nineteen ninety nine in paperback and fourteen ninety nine in ebook. You can get it by going to sexandhappiness.com to order your copy of Sex and Happiness by me, Laurie Handlers. Well, we're back on Tantra Cafe. I was talking with Edie Weinstein about orgasmic living and uh, asking you whether you would like to live your life full out, allowing richness, juiciness, allowing yourself to burst like a ripe fruit into your glory. I asked earlier, too, if if you were in a delicious place in your life. And so, Edie, 
I'm going to ask you some of these things. Are you somebody who want to live your life that way? Yes. Um, I think I've always wanted to, but had been afraid to before again, because what would the propriety police think? And now I realize the propriety police were just a construct in my mind. They weren't real. Um, they were, you know, and, and um, years ago, a friend of mine who liked my writing said, you know, you should have a column, um, like a Sex in the City column, and because uh, you know, he'd seen some of my more um, racy kind of writing. And I said, well, you know, there, then there, there's Moish and Selma Weinstein, uh, octogenarians living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that I want to keep alive. Those are my parents. Um, and, and they would be shocked. So I think I'm going to wait. Well, my father has since passed. And my mother is still living, and I've talked to her about this. Um, she knows some of what my life choices are, but not all of them, and she doesn't need to know. Um, but she and I talk about these things now, and I think she kind of gets it vicariously. So I, she knows that I that I do live like this, and I do my morning check-in calls with her, and I tell her about the things I'm teaching. I, I think I told her that I'm going to be on your show, and and you know that I had taken a class with you, and um, so first it's about permission. Giving right. myself permission to live like this. That's so and, good. I'm so yeah. glad you you brought that back because, up because you can't have satisfaction if you don't have permission. Right, right. And and you I can't. give myself permission to live in a way that pleases me. I, I talk about um, teaching people how to be in pleasure. I've stopped saying you're welcome when people say thank you. I always say my pleasure. Right. If I say it, I'm going to have it, I'm going to live it. And I'm not real comfortable with the term guilty pleasure. You know, people talk about that, that, you know, a certain TV show or a certain, uh, you know, indulgence in a certain food is guilty pleasure. No more guilt. Mm -mm. (laughs) It ain't happening here. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I just want to share with you that I have my octogenarian father living here with me in Phoenix now, Mm -hmm. in Phoenix, Arizona, and, uh, Mm He's been through bliss. Wow. <laughs> three times. And actually, if you, you probably, you may have been to my website before, and if people want to go to my website, butterflyworkshops.com, there's a short film there, a 13 minute film called The Butterfly Experience, which is a film of that, of that bliss course. And my father, I needed an extra actor. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> They weren't really actors, you know, like they were people who were taking a course, for, some of them for the first time and a few of them for the second time, who agreed to to be in a in a film so I could cut a DVD of the course and give it out to people at the end. And I needed an extra person. I said to my father, well, you're it. So he's actually recorded. <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. Yeah, you know, that, that just reminded me of something, a story that my mother tells me. Um, I was an inquisitive child, and I would never hesitate to ask any questions about any subject. And my mother would say that my younger sister never had to ask any questions because I, I always asked them first. And they usually took place at the dinner table. And they were usually, not usually, but some of the time about sex. So my, when I'd ask a question, my father would look at my mother, shrug his shoulders, and say, okay, Selma, you take this one. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> so... Perfect. I think that that's where it got started. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, we have a lot in common. We really, really yeah. do. So let's go back because I, I actually do believe that I'm living an orgasmic life. I mm-hmm. That was the biggest lesson that I got out of Tantra, that it was possible to be 
physically high frequency, like physically uh, purring, I guess. I, I don't, like stoked up. My fires are stoked up most of the time. Mm-hmm. So physically that to me resembles orgasm. And then also to just be making love to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making love with things I don't like, making love with things I like. Making like being in the dance of it that that says okay I love it even if it, it sucks I must mm-hmm. love it because I created it so here yep. it comes so yeah so so why so before earlier in in the show you mentioned that some people just don't want this mm-hmm. you were talking about people who are uncomfortable mm-hmm. with change or I, I don't even want to that you might not have said it like that they were uncomfortable with pursuing this w- mm-hmm. well, tell us about that tell me a little bit more about why would people not want this well the analogy that I can use came a couple of days ago and a dear friend was was doing a presentation um, he was talking about um, making positive change in our lives and he was saying he he had gone to there was a time he worked at Madison Square Garden and he went there backstage when the Ringling Brothers Circus was there and he saw the elephants there, big elephants, baby elephants, and the big elephants had just a little rope around their ankle tied to a stake. He said, not that I support animals being tied up, but he said this is how they kept the elephants in place and from running away. It was just a little rope. And then he saw a baby elephant next to the big elephant. So he asked the trainer, you know, why does that big elephant stay there with just this tiny little rope attached to a stake that's only in a little bit of dirt, all it has to do is lift its leg and, and it gets, you know, can pull it out of the ground. And he pointed, the man pointed to this baby elephant and said, we've got a rope around that elephant's leg too. And that elephant is too small and too weak to pull their leg out. And they learn, they start believing that they can't free themselves. So by the time they're an adult elephant, they don't know that all they have to do is lift their leg and move out of it because it's what they're used to. So I would say the same thing for us human beings. It's what we're used to. If you're used to, to operating, resonating at a certain frequency, you up the amps, it's going to fry your circuits. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's the fear. Yeah, the people. fear. Um, I have to tell you, when I had my first spontaneous Kundalini awakening in, 19, what was it, 2004, I had no clue what was going on. I had no preparation for it, and I felt like my circuits were fried. And I didn't run away from it. I stayed with the feeling. I talked to friends who had been through it. I had friends who were yoga teachers, and, and it took me about six months, but I got through it. And well, there's no yeah, turning back. You have to tell us about it, of course, because I can't assume that everybody knows what that right. is. What the heck are you Okay, talking? well, Kundalini. Yeah. Um, what happened in- to you? Well, I took my first Tantra class with um, two very well-known teachers who had come into the area. They were my introduction to the class, to Tantra, and um, it was a wonderful class. I Are had you talking about all- Charles and Caroline? Yes, yes. I yeah, didn't I think that's how other- other- you and I met, I think. Yeah, Charles we, and Caroline came to... You didn't to, um, there, but I called you or something. I, I called oh, okay. you about your article. Yes. Um, so they, yeah, they were my first Tantra teachers, and I had... You know, after taking their intro class, I had my first spontaneous kundalini awakening. Kundalini is, um, I think it's a Sanskrit term, I believe, that refers to 
the, I don't know if it's considered a literal, and you would know this better than I would, coiled snake at the base of the spine that yeah. moves up the chakras. And yes, it's, when a, the, it's basically a female. It's a female ah. snake. It's Shakti energy coming from the mm-hmm. earth, and it, mm-hmm. it moves up the chakras like a snake, like the caduceus, the caduceus right. the medical, from, from right. medicine, which have the two yeah. snakes. Right. So it, it you know, it, it, the energy was so powerful, um, was so overwhelming that I felt like all of the chakras were blown wide open. The only image that could come to mind afterwards when I was explaining it to somebody is, you know, those those um, windows or window blinds that you can open part way or close, you know, that you can modulate the light coming through. In yeah. that experience, they were wide open and I couldn't shut them. So I was hypersensitive to everything, emotionally, physically. I couldn't sleep a straight night through for six months. And I would sit up in bed at night holding my head and rocking. And I thought, my God, is this what some of my patients in the hospital where I work who have psychosis go through? That's what it felt like. It felt like a psychotic. I mean, I could function. I went to work every day. I drove. I did normal people stuff. But that fear or potential fear of that happening is enough to keep people in their safe little cocoons. Mm. Did you also, did your body vibrate at that time? Like, oh, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it was like, a, the way I described it was like a thousand volts of, of electricity going through my arms. And again, it wasn't, I wasn't in any danger, but it was such an unaccustomed physiological state that I wish I had known it was going to happen. Not that anybody was negligent, not that it was anything like that, but I wish I had known what could happen. So I could have gone into it a little more gradually because that's mm-hmm. not my style. I go into, I dive into things head first. Right. And I, well, again, I wish I had eased my way into the experience. So I do more easing now than diving. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned this, the, the way you set it up. It's good. It's great because it, there's an opportunity here to, first of all, take a look at the fact that people have pretty much disowned their body and they don't know much about their energy. Yeah. Forget about sexual energy. I mean, they know about sex and they kind of know they, they're, most people are drawn to the deliciousness of it, of the feeling of it, but there's this whole other aspect of just working the sexual energy, which your story hits upon, and most people don't even know the, the capability. So it seems to me that if we were taught in a different way altogether in our world about our bodies, this awakening experience, this kundalini awakening experience that you had, you just go into it. It would be like encouraging it, breathing mm-hmm. faster, going into that, you know, not trying to shut the the curtains. If you really, if you had known, if you had been properly contextually set up for it, it would mm-hmm. it probably could have changed your experience. Yeah, I mean, I had no frame of reference. I'd heard the term before. I had just started practicing yoga at the time. I'd been practicing meditation, well, 15, 20 years at that point, but I'd never had anything quite like that. And I don't regret it. Um, I'm, you know, I, it, it set the tone for the life that I'm living now. And the emotional, I, I, I call myself an emotional bungee jumper. I've never physically, nor do I ever want to physically bungee jump or skydive, <laughs> but I do it emotionally. And that's great. You're a bliss mistress bungee 
emotional yeah. bungee jumper. Well, that's where, you know, the Lottie Hunt concept comes in is, you know, being in that unknown, doing what I call the nest plunge, you know, falling backwards into life, into the arms of God, goddess, all it is, living in the mystery. That's that's where the juice is, you know, and, sure and okay, what's, sure what's going to happen next? Ooh, you know. Well, in case you've just tuned in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host, and my guest today is Edie Weinstein. And we're just having a delicious conversation about all the possibilities that can happen when you wake up. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what she just mentioned, which is called Lottie Han, going into the unknown, and bring it all back to the orgasmic life. And we've discussed people who don't want it. Now we're going to talk about people who do want it meaning her and I, and hopefully you. Hopefully you'll join us. So we'll be right back. If you're listening to Tantra Cafe, congratulations. You've reached a higher plane of consciousness in caring for yourself and caring for your significant other. Tantra can help with physical and emotional bonding to nurture your relationship. And there's another level of care that you should be considering as well. It's your family's financial well-being. I rely on DeLone Financial Services to guide me on this journey. And Jeff DeLone is my friend. He and I have worked together for years. He even helps care for my father's finances. For information about your family's financial planning, contact Jeff DeLone at 610-356-1253. That's 610-356-1253. Or... You can email Jeff at jdelone at delonefinancialgroup.com. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through FSC Securities Corporation, member FINRA SIPC. Jeff DeLone is a registered representative with FSC Securities Corporation. DeLone Financial Group is not. We're back with Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handler as your host, and my guest today is Edie Weinstein. And Edie Weinstein calls herself a bliss mistress, and she is speaking today with us about having an orgasmic life. So, Edie, let's talk about why people would want it. I mean, I got what I got that you wanted to break through your limitations, and I certainly you didn't want any more of those. What was it? Propriety. Oh, the propriety. Worried that the propriety police were looking over my shoulder to see what I was up to. Right, so yeah. so I could see how you would move towards getting free of that. I could mm-hmm. really see that. And yeah. wh- why would people want to have an orgasmic life? Why would they? What what would attract them? What are the benefits? Okay. Well, first of all, it's living in technicolor. Um, probably most people who are listening to the show have seen The Wizard of Oz at least once, and I liken it to the transition between Dorothy being in you know black and white Kansas to being in in Technicolor Oz. And a lot of us live black and white lives because we think, number one, that's all we're allowed to live. That's all we've ever lived. Um, That's all we ever think is going to be there. And the benefit, imagine if you could all of a sudden see in living color, if everything dripped with color, what would that feel like in your life? You would feel fully alive relationships improve. If you're relating to another technicolor person as a technicolor person, you're going to have much more fun. 
Um, if you're feeling, giving yourself permission to be fully expressed verbally, physically, you're going to have much more fun. Now, when I say fully expressed, it doesn't mean not having any filters and saying whatever you want and the heck with what anybody thinks. You know, compassion and, and tact and all that stuff is important, too, you know, to have a healthy relationship with somebody. It's experiencing more pleasure in your body. Um, it's, I, you know, I talk about the idea of pleasure being experienced in, from three perspectives. The first one is in anticipation. You know, you think about something coming up that you're really excited about, and you can feel that adrenaline pumping, the blood, butterflies in your stomach, you, your whole body saying, yes, yes, this is what I want. Um, and I encourage people to breathe into that. And the second part is the experience itself. When you're totally present to what's going on in your life, whether you're washing dishes, washing the car, taking the dog for a walk, or, you know, being in a, in a passionate embrace, when you're in the moment, you're going to enjoy it a whole lot more. And you can only focus on one thing at a time consciously. You can't handle more than one, even, even those of us that are consummate multitaskers. And I include myself in that group, and you probably are too, Lori, doing everything you do. Oh, yeah. Um, but you can only, oh, yeah. only do one thing at a time. <laughs> and and yeah. growing all the time. You know, growing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's part two is the here and now experience. And then we experience pleasure in our memories because our bodies have sense memory. We remember stuff physically, whether it's abuse or whether it's pleasure. we Our bodies remember that stuff. So that's one of the benefits is being able to have portable pleasure. It doesn't come from somebody else. Okay, Nobody gives you an orgasm. It's something that's generated in your psyche, your body, your consciousness that you can share with another person or people, but nobody gives it to you. Nobody's responsible for your sexual pleasure or any pleasure but you. And that's a revolutionary concept for, I would say, women more than men. I can't speak for men, obviously. But, you know, we're taught that, you know, we are at the effect of our lovers. And right. we're not. <laughs> you know, it's our, you know, it's our it's equipment. It's funny that you said, I just have to say, it's funny. You're like, in a certain way, you're plugging my book. Because oh, well, I like your book. I read your book. My second <laughs> chapter is, my second chapter is, please yourself. Yeah, oh and then yeah. I, then I go into yeah. that whole rant about how women don't know what they want and men mm-hmm. are always trying to please them and men, it's not men's job to please women right. and yeah. they should yeah. stop and women aren't going to like what I'm going to say, but I'm saying it anyway. So I love what you're saying. I certainly uh-huh. am in full agreement yeah. with you about this. Oh, absolutely. That we are responsible for our own pleasure and when we know what we want, we can tell partners what we want. You know, whether our partner is a man or a woman, because another woman may, you know, may know the equipment better because she has it herself, but we're all unique individuals. You know, I may not know what another person wants or what they enjoy in me. So you can't get what you want until you know what you want, <laughs> and you can't tell anybody else what you want until you know what you want. That's, that's really um, good. So that would be, would that be a tip? Like your tip. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Get to know your body. Get to know what, what, again, lights you up from the inside. And again, this is not just about sex. It's about everything that you want. Um, I talk about attuning your body to the key of O <laughs> when you live an orgasmic life. Um, Beautiful. You know, I, I, and would you, would you tell people to make a list? Would oh, you absolutely. Encourage them to yeah. make a list of what, what turns them on in every oh, which yeah. way? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, what I talk about, and I wrote an article about this that I sent to you. Um, you know, I say it could be dancing, wearing clothing that floats over your body, um, could be getting or giving a massage. Um, I'm committed. I For the last several months, I've scheduled a, a monthly massage. I have a wonderful friend, um, who, my friend Cindy, who's an amazing massage therapist, and my session with her is tomorrow night. Um, so that's a gift I give to myself every month. And I'm a massage practitioner. So I make sure that I get massage. Um, for some people, it's watching sunlight coming through, you know, through the trees. Um, it could be the aroma of fresh baked cookies. Um, that's, you know, just so make a list of what turns you on. And again, it's not just sexual turn-ons. Um, you know, I, I encourage people to ask for what they want. And I, I talk about in the article, uh, my son, who's now 22, when he was a child and we would ask him to choose between two different flavors of ice cream, he would reply, I want both of each. So, you know, imagine that concept, both of each. You don't have to limit yourself. I only get to have this pleasure. Only one pleasure per day. You can't have more than that. You know, that's, that's what we tell ourselves. Or not at all. You know, there's something wrong with wanting pleasure in our minds. So that's, that's a great that's a great little story about your son because oh, yeah. people really do feel like they when they get something that there's too much attention on them mm-hmm. and then they have to turn around and give right back and they're not allowed to have more they're not expanded in the, in having mm-hmm. as much pleasure as they could possibly devour or as much oh, yeah. pleasure as they possibly could receive right. And that's not selfish. There's nothing selfish at all about receiving because there can be no giver if there is no receiver. So I encourage people to be both generous givers and gracious receivers. And everything I'm telling you here is what I live myself. And I sometimes struggle with myself. So if you were struggling, like how would that, I mean, just because it, it it's good to have you sound somewhat normal. I, I don't, by I the way, I don't want to encourage I know what you mean. I don't want to encourage you to be normal. I don't encourage anyone to be normal. But, you know, when you're, everyone has a not so great day. Everybody has a contraction somehow or other. So when you're having, when you're, when you really need to encourage yourself, when you're having Mm -hmm. a not so orgasmic day, what's that like? Well, a couple things I, you know, I tell people when you mention normal, I say that normal is a setting on a washing machine. But that's it. There is no such thing as normal. Um, I didn't make that one up, but I like that one. And what I tell people is that when I have the inevitable dark night of the soul, and again, we all have that, you know, I I know the sun will come out tomorrow. And I I joke that I channel my inner Annie. You know, the sun will come out tomorrow. And I know it will because it always does. And I get through the dark night of the soul by knowing that I walk into a room, and, you know, if the, if the electric bill's been paid, I switch on the switch, the light's going to go on. Okay, I know, I don't just believe these things, I know them. I have, you know, I doubt once in a while, but I, you know, in God, Goddess and I would ever have this dialogue where, you know, the question is, have I ever dropped you? Have things ever not worked out even more gloriously than you imagined? And the answer is always no, of course not. They always do work out, so that helps me is that I, that I have a dialogue or monologue, depending on whether I feel connected or part of God, um, you know, with a dialogue with the divine. And I do it every day, several times a day, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm wavering. I said, all right, give me a reality check here. What's going on? And that helps get me through. I surround myself with supportive people, uh, people that nourish my dreams. That gets me through. 
Um, I, you know, I, I'm hard on myself at times. I've had friends that have told me that I'm extremely hard on myself. So I've learned to give myself permission to be fully human. That's been hard. When you talked about the idea of um, not being able to accept pleasure, I remember an experience I had a number of years ago. I was walking this beautiful labyrinth in an area not too far from where I live, and I remember thinking, you know, I want to bring someone into my heart, and the voice in my head said, how can your heart be a safe place for someone else when it's not even a safe place for you? And boy, did I dissolve into tears at that one. I still do when I think about it. I tear up. Um, that in order for us, our hearts to be safe for other people to enter, whether they're lovers or friends, um, it needs to be a safe place for us. Yes, you know, it's so, it's absolutely true. But we yeah. sometimes we don't find that out until mm-hmm. we've been through many debacles yeah. <laughs> where oh, yeah. it, it wasn't yeah. safe for us in a in a relationship, or it wasn't mm-hmm. safe for us. Uh, yeah. And it turns out that it was a reflection. We weren't safe yeah. at that time. I mean, and, I, I, I've, I've seen you go through a safety process, actually, with me. And I, I mm-hmm. saw you actually turn on some huge floodlights to yourself to and, yeah. and get safe right before yeah. your own eyes and right before my eyes and, yeah. Yeah. and, and other it, people. And it's exciting. And the receptivity is kind of interesting. I turned, I'm 51 this year. This I'll be 52 in October. But I, when I had my 50th birthday party, a wonderful friend hosted a, a party for me. It wasn't a surprise party, but um, the people that showed up, some of them were, were surprised. And they did this ritual for me where they shared out loud the impact I had on their on their lives. Now, I wish I had recorded it because I don't remember even a fraction of what was said because I deflected it. Mm. You know, I was like a Teflon pan rather than a love sponge, you know, soaking yeah. it up because it was so hard to hear. Why, you know, and this is a question that I still don't know the answer to, and maybe you do, why is it so much easier to believe all the negative propaganda that we have in our heads about ourselves than to believe the love that we really are? When I can answer that one, I'll be a gazillionaire, I think. Well, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. it really is. It's part of our culture. It's yeah. part, it's a lot part of our culture, it, and I mean the t- the human condition. It's mm-hmm. uh, it has to do with the with the duality between body and mind. Mm-hmm. That we value the mind more than we value the body. That the body is the vehicle where the soul lives, but the vehicle is not as valuable as the soul and spirit. It really has to do with the duality. So the negative that rejection stuff and the, the the translation into into deflection of compliments is really because it's been it's been passed to us genetically. It's in our DNA now. It's not just the socialization process. It's years and years and years and years of people being puppets for mm-hmm. the powers that be or the 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 influences that want to get ahead. So yeah, it's it, it registers more deeply, especially in the sex chakra. It registers more deeply all the negative stuff, and then when something mirrors that, or something the opposite of that, like wanting to give you adoration, you're like me, right? Little, little small, mm-hmm. undeserving me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have it too, so I, 
I, I, it's, I, it's not that I'm devoid of that. I have that also. I work really, I will give you a tip for that, by the way. Sure. Uh, Take since it. it happened to you recently. And you can't do it, you know, you can't go back and relive your, your birthday party. Yeah. But when somebody gives you a great compliment like that and you notice you're deflecting, you could say, just a minute, I really want to hear that. <laughs> and I'm right. going to breathe as I request that you say it again. Yeah. And there, there, there you can have it. Where I'm talking today with Edie Weinstein about really great stuff, like how to have an orgasmic life, how to really take in the pleasure and beauty and magnitude that life is, everything all around us, and let it into ourselves, not just look at it like something out there. It's, uh, it's quite a conversation that we're having, and we're on Tantra Cafe, which is a program for spiritual enlightenment. I'm your host, Laurie Hammers. And we're going to come back and talk about some other tips that Edie may have for us about how to, how to really be fully expressed and also find out a little bit more about what she offers and how to get in touch with her. So please stay tuned to Tantra Cafe. Many times on Tantra Cafe, you've heard my guests and me discuss emotional release techniques. Now you can do emotional release in the privacy of your own home. In my CD, Shamanic Release and Lottie Han, I create a very safe and sacred space in which you can do the powerful work I'm known for in my Tantra courses. I set you up with the proper positioning and breathing and then guide you through each emotional state to the beat of tribal African rhythms. If you try the CD, you'll find an easy way to do your personal clearing work on a regular basis and you'll watch your relationships walk free from emotional baggage. You can order my CD at ButterflyWorkshops.com for only $20. Aren't you really worth it? I think you are. Go to ButterflyWorkshops.com and get your copy now. Shamanic Release and Lottie Han. Walk free from emotional baggage. Well, we're back for our final segment of Tantra Cafe. I'm with Edie Weinstein, and I realize... Uh, that we we mentioned Lottie Han in in an earlier segment we never came back to it and now I just talked about it in my plug for my own CD so I think we ought to say a couple words about being in the unknown do you think mm-hmm. absolutely why don't you well being in the unknown um, my in addition to that kind of Lottie Han concept I think about this term that I first heard a number of years ago connected with Gilda Radner. Do you remember Gilda from Saturday Night Live? Absolutely. She was my favorite character. Uh, well, she, Gilda Radner um, died of ovarian cancer um, in 1989. And right. before she died, her counselor, um, she, she had, let me back up a little bit, she had written a book called It's Always Something, and it was made into a TV movie. My favorite scene at the end is she's with her counselor, Joanna Bull. And she's sitting on the floor. Joanna's holding her, and she's fairly close to dying. She's got a little fuzzy, you know, chemotherapy hair growing back and looking very thin. And she gets up and storms away. And Joanna says to her, I know why you're so, something like, I know why this cancer makes you so angry because, you know, there's so much uncertainty. You don't have any control. But she said, imagine this. When you're not in control, um, you get to live in the delicious ambiguity where anything is possible. Now, that's paraphrasing it. But I like the term delicious ambiguity. We're taught to think, oh, my God, anything's possible. But I prefer to say, wow, anything's possible. 
What would it be like if I lived every day with anything possible? So that, to me, is the essence of Lottie Hun, is within that just-don't-know, within that mystery, you know, anything could happen, and frequently does. So true. <laughs> so true, and it often does, because we really have very little control over any of it. But we mm-hmm. get ourselves into thinking. I like that thing, the uh, the way I describe Lottie Hun is it's that there was a commercial on TV where a guy walked, out of his house, he kisses his wife goodbye, walks out the door, puts on a helmet, and then he kind of dives off of a cliff and comes down with a, with a parachute, you know, in front of, to a new SUV or something. But to me, when I saw that commercial on TV, I went, they stole that from me. Oh. (laughs) Because I, I really tell people to imagine going off of a cliff into the unknown, into the void. And and find themselves a, a magic carpet to brace the fall and then go into the complete unknown. You the known is known already. So what? It's boring. Go into something new at every moment with every breath and see what's possible. As you said, like all the possibilities. Oh yeah, yeah. And a lot of people think about things being impossible, but I prefer to change the punctuation mark to say I'm possible. And in any moment, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm infinite possibility. Oh, I like that. Can I steal that? Myself brand new every day. Can I steal that from you? I'm possible. Yeah, you know, there are, you know, Lord, I believe there are no original ideas. It's all (laughs) part of the collective conscious, consciousness that, you know, the the call (laughs) young concept, you know, collective unconscious. That's what it is. (laughs) You know, when we said this, when you just said that, I got reminded of something. This will bring us back to something we discussed earlier, which was, your first Tantra workshop with Charles and Caroline Muir. When I took a workshop with Charles Muir, I, in my experience of the homework that night, I was having an amazing orgasmic, real orgasm experience, and instead, and I was saying, oh, oh my God, oh my God. And I changed it in the moment to say, Om, I'm God. Oh, I, know. Oh, I like that. I'm yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> so that transformed my entire sexual experience. Oh, I like that. Can I, can I swipe that one? <laughs> you know? Somebody, I forget who it was that said something like, you know, I only, I only steal from the best or I only borrow from the best or whatever, you know. But we're all so intricately and intimately connected that we're, you know, reading each other's minds anyway, you know. So, I, you know, I like that concept. Um, the other thing that I encourage people to do is to realize that like attracts like. You know, we're taught that opposites attract, but when we're shining, we attract shining people. You know, everybody, I think, is a mirror for us. So what I'm putting out is what I'm getting back. So, so if you're putting out a lot of pleasure and a lot of self-acceptance mm-hmm. and a lot of mm-hmm. orgasmic content, like the high vibration. hmm Chances are what you're saying, the people that you're attracting to yourself are going to be vibrating at that level as well. What a wonderful, what a wonderful way to move through time and space. Oh yeah. And and the thing is, not everybody, you know, if we live that way, we're not always just going to attract, there's no, there's no absolute. Uh, You know, there's no always or never anything has been my experience. But there have been times when I've drawn people into my life who are attracted to that energy and are, you know, they've heard the term emotional vampires. They just kind of suck the life out of you. And that's where boundaries come in. That's where, you know, the the six years in Codependence Anonymous comes in handy for me is to be able to say, I, you know, I, I 
set boundaries that I'm only willing to allow certain experiences and energies and people into my life. Now, it's not being exclusive. It's not being a snob. It's not being, you know, saying I know better or I'm superior. It just means, and again, you mentioned cuddle party. Um, that's one of the things the cuddle party teaches too is appropriate boundaries. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm not comfortable with. This is what I accept in my life. This is what I'm not willing to accept any longer. So that's part of it too for me is, you know, is saying this is what works, this doesn't work. And I express it tactfully. I don't tell people to go take a hike, but I'm learning to say no to things that don't feel right, you know, trusting my instincts, my gut. That's perfect. It's really, it's a, it's more, it, it adds more to your life. It's added more to my life to do that kind of thing, to set boundaries and say nowhere appropriate than, than to walk around angry because I, I violated myself with the use of mm-hmm. someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, those yeah. energy vampires are around all over the place and they're mm-hmm. looking for somebody's neck. I always say they're looking for my neck. They're looking for my neck. They want to chomp my <laughs> neck. <and walk> away. <laughs> we once did a, uh, my former partner and I once did a workshop, a, a nine-day uh, healing fair in London, mm-hmm. and it was nine whole days of people who wanted to get healed coming mm-hmm. through the booths, you know, all the different booths. And I, at the end of nine days, I had no blood left. Oh. You know? So many people who are energy vampires, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's perfect that you that you're doing this, that you're talking about this boundary setting. Mm-hmm. Now, tell people how they can find out more about Cuddle Party because... Okay. Yeah, because we didn't really go into it, and we're not going to, but I want people yeah, to be able fine. to find Yeah, that's fine. Okay, but just yeah. so people know, Cuddle Party is a workshop, three-and-a-half-hour workshop. You can go to the website, www.cuddleparty, C-U-D-D-L-E-P-A-R-T-Y, one word, dot com, and it will tell you about all things cuddly. Um, my website is www.live, L-I-V-E, I-N, joy, J-O-Y, liveinjoy.org. And there are you know, links to all kinds of stuff that I do. And um, I'm, as you mentioned, you know, writer, speaker, an interfaith minister, um, a PR, I call myself a PR goddess. I help with PR and marketing for events and promotions. And I'm writing a book, which I didn't even mention, called The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. So this is kind of a, a primer, you know, a little bit of a, of a, a teaser for the book um, to be able to talk about what it would be like to live a bliss-filled life. Well, when so, you come, when you when the book is out, when do you expect the book to be out? When do I expect it to be out? Well, the same friend that told the elephant story is a is a writer also, and he's a he's a kind of a kick-ass coach. He says, you know, the book's not doing anybody any good being in your head. When are you going to finish it? So I started. No, when are you going to finish well, it already? He says, no, 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 finish it. <laughs> So my commitment, what's, what is this? By the end of this year, I'm committed to having it published, however it needs to get published. And I need to get past the I'm not good enough, the imposter syndrome, you know, who's going to want to read this kind of thing to be able to do it. In so, there. I know it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you got books out there, so you got through it. <laughs> you survived I got it. through it. You got to just get through it. You hold your own hand and get out. You know, get, get, get out into it. Walk right through it. You, you really can do it. So I really mm-hmm. want to thank you. I really want to thank you, Edie, for being my my guest today and talking to us about having an orgasmic life. You really have talked about how to make the ordinary 
into the extraordinary, how to the benefits of giving yourself the pleasure that you want, that you deserve it, even when you feel you don't deserve it, and how to get out of that, how to break through that and and go and go for it. And I, I really, I'm I'm very grateful that you've come on the show and shared this with me. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Using what you just gave us, that tip you gave us I before. Practice what I preach. <laughs> Wonderful. So thank you so much. This, I've been talking with Edie Weinstein, and you can go to her website at liveinjoy.org. That's liveinjoy.org. We'll be watching for your book. We'll be waiting for it to come out. You'll have to come back up on the show when you, when you put it out there. You can reach me anytime by going to laurie at butterflyworkshops.com. You can send me an email about suggestions for the show, feedback for the show. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And please don't forget to order your copy of my book, Sex and Happiness. I'm going to be saying Namaste from Tantra Cafe. That means I bow to the divine in you. Stay tuned next week when my guest is Hercules, the pleasure coach. We'll be talking more about pleasure. See you then.